Hello, it's another episode of the TetraCast. Uh, somehow, we have even more to talk about this week than we did last week. Thanks, TGS. Tokyo Game Show is hell. It's that year, time of the year again. It's a little bit different because of the global pandemic this year. But it's still as hectic, even though the entirety of Tokyo Game Show has gone online. I'm My sleep schedule is just... Tokyo Game Show plus being on the West Coast in the United States, it's, uh, it's just death. It doesn't mix. No mortal should have to go through that. And then obviously yeah. this week started out with Microsoft just deciding to uh, upend mm -hmm. the whole gaming ecosystem. Oh, God. It's, yeah. it's a little bit uh, over, you know, over embellished, but maybe it's true. But you hear the voices of I'm Brian Vitale and we have Josh Torres, our resident TGS expert. And then we also have oh, James goodness. Galizio. Hey. So we're just going to like get right into it. Like I've never seen our little notes document that we run these podcasts off of get so long. Uh, so we're just going to settle in, you know, and poke through everything that has come out of all of these streams from TGS this week. It's just kind of crazy because we've seen like the online, you know, Gamescom and other things, but none of them have really like seemed to really stick the landing in terms of actually having a lot of meaningful things to talk about. And then just in the past, like, Literally in the past four hours, we put up new posts on the website that I haven't even got a chance to look at yet. Yeah, there's there's a lot of RPG focused things that happened so far. Teachers, it's not even over yet. By the time you're hearing this, it might be over. But as of the recording, we're barely, I don't know, maybe a little over halfway. I want to guess, but no, as long as this goes up today, it definitely won't be over because there's still some stuff uh, tomorrow morning. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, uh, you know, uh, get settled in, get a drink. I know I have a few here to last this length of this podcast. Uh, and let's just get going. Um, I guess we will talk a little bit about what we've been playing at the start, but maybe we'll keep this section kind of abbreviated. Uh, well, I don't have anything. There's only three of us. I don't have anything to talk about because I've just been playing Final Fantasy and uh, the other thing I've been playing has like is still under embargo. So... Share one yeah. thing of Final Fantasy this week. Um, the Warrior of Light is a good dude. Note. Yeah. I, I, I piloted a totally not a Gundam. Oh. I watched my friend stream that. That looks so cool. That looks so fun. Well, which expansion is that a part of? Is that part of the newest one? It's the most recent update. I just didn't get around to doing it. Ah, okay. Finally uh, caught up doing the rest of the um, Shadowbringers uh, trials I hadn't done yet. So like Ruby Weapon and whatnot. And that's yeah. 5.3? Um, Ruby Weapon, I think, was 5.2. But yeah. the recent um, stuff still. Yeah, the recent stuff was 5.3. Oh, that's right. Probably should put it in the uh, article that... Um, well, the um, podcast doc that... Uh, the um live letter from the producer got announced so that's coming up all right when, when is that so we can get it so just to remind people who are interested uh let me double check really quick i think I, it well, while you double check i was just gonna say i've been playing wasteland 3 um this game has been a game that uh i've wanted to play for a while in some respect but i've also wanted to avoid for a while in some others because is this game is an interesting one and this is a little bit like behind baseball or whatever you call it inside baseball but no one on the site really had a ton of passion in covering this game that's why we don't have a review for it yet Be mainly because i don't think anyone 
on on staff, all of us, and there's a lot of us, had really any interest based on the way that this game was marketed. It has this weird. It had this like weird. And this is my personal opinion here at this point. Um, it had like weird, cringy humor. It had like a you know unflattering like tone tone and art style. And a lot of the the trailers kind of focused on this like drunkard character. And I just thought like I'm not interested in playing that. It's not something I want to do. Um, but I'll kind of save my fuller thoughts for next week when I'm further in. But I, I finally just kind of bit the bullet. It's on Game Pass. I can play it for free, quote unquote. And I, there are parts of it that I am enjoying, but it does still kind of devolve into that like weird, cringe, toilet humor sort of stuff. So, I don't and know, that's maybe... like almost like the—I'm not going to say that's expected of the Wasteland series, but I only, I only played the first, very first Wasteland, but that was like ages and eras ago. I don't know if I yeah. even beat it. I know I know I've touched it before, but and I didn't like... hear too many good things about Wasteland Two when that finally came out. First of all, I just do want to say that if as a pure gearhead, if you just want to know, like, how is it as an RPG? I think it's really cool. It's like it's kind of like Baldur's Gate meets XCOM or actually Baldur's Gate is a wrong kind of idea. More like Fallout meets XCOM, um, where the, the the combat is like you you have like a squad of people that you can uh you know how in XCOM it's a pretty common thing that you have people and you can like rename them and they kind of have very general um, strengths and abilities and you can kind of tailor them to be good at using certain weapons or certain items, certain abilities. And that's all here too, where you can kind of shift people to be, you know, very specialized or very, you know, jack of all trades. Um, you can have people who are very good at dealing damage, people who are very good at, you know, passing skill checks where they're not so good in combat, but they're good at like completing quests. Uh, and then all the quest lines themselves kind of intermesh in cool and interesting ways. It's just a lot of the tone stuff just kind of feels really drab and weird and dry. Here's, here's one anecdote to try to nail that home. So this one, this one person who is a, basically a car mechanic and you want him to kind of join your crew to be basically working on your, your little tank that you use to run around the, the world map. But he says, before he joins you, he wants to, you know, rescue his family who has been under attack. And you go to his homestead and you learn that they're all mostly dead, except his sister. And then you realize that his sister, in order to survive because she didn't have any food, has been like eating the fingers off of the dead corpses. Like there, I know, I know that's a really, I just went from zero to a hundred, yeah. you know, yeah. pretty quickly, but that's kind of what Wasteland is. And then like, it's the tone is just, she, she walks around and like, I'm eating candy. Do you have more candy for me? And like, oh, come on. Uh, I think her name was Nita. Come on, Nita. Let's bring you back to base. And we saved you, you know, and then you return to her brother and you tell him that she's like been eating, you know, she's been, she's now a cannibal. Or she has been. And he, and he kind of like brushes it off like, oh, that's unfortunate. And then you go back to base and you see him in the garage and he's now like providing some sort of service for your tank. Cause that's kind of part of how, part of how the game works is recruiting people for your team like that. And then his sister is like in the corner and you talk to her. She's like, did you bring more candy for me? And I'm just like, what is this? Like, I don't understand like what they're going for with it. It's not funny. It's not like compelling. There's really not much story behind it. It's the sort of stuff where like for everything that Wasteland 3 does well, it has something like that that is just kind of weird. And there's really no other yeah, word for it. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from. There's this, this weird like lack of mesh, lack of cohesion that really, you know, glues things together and makes them, you know, logically work together in your head. 
And then like one other tiny anecdote is that you um you go back to your ranger base and you go to like the cantina and uh the people are like eating that you you recruited someone to cook food for your guys or whatever and then you come across this guy named scotch mo who is like this bearded drunkard who was in all the trailers and he like runs off screen to go vomit and he's like can i join you and he like he speaks and he's like completely like plastered and the game seems to think it's like this hilarious thing and i'm like okay i'm gonna recruit you but then never use you in my team you're gonna be sitting you know riding the pine for the rest of the game but like i don't want to like play with this character <laughs> it's i don't know okay. so next how about this i'll leave it there for this week but next week when i bring it up again i will talk about some of the stuff that the game does do well independent of that it's just okay that's my first impression <laughs> what a weird like game. 10 hours yeah weird yeah. is just the only way for it all right so did you Do figure out when they're um yeah the date for the uh letter from the producer for 14 yeah it's on october 9th at 4 a.m pacific awesome. what day of the week is that friday uh, okay <laughs> i guess an aside there is that since uh the live letter is specifically supposed to be for the next patch 5.4 that means that 5.35 will be out before then so it'll either be next week or the week after so that's something all right to wrap up this introductory section uh josh do you have anything you wanted to talk about yeah, Before I've been playing the, 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 the latest, uh, the latest and greatest new video games that everyone's been playing all these days. Uh, the these days, you know, East Two, uh, my favorite brand new game of 2020. Wait, there's two of uh, them. <laughs> this is getting ridiculous. Now there's oh, two of them. I know. Uh, after I don't, I don't know if I mentioned it last week when I was done with my Yakuza marathon, um, I was like, I wanna, I I, I, li- I like these kind of series marathons that I'm doing, but I want them to be like in digestible chunks. And the Yakuza games, they're usually around the 12 to 15 hour mark. Some are out there with Yakuza 0 and Yakuza 5, which kind of double that. But I was like, I was looking for another series to do like a series marathon on. And I was like, you, uh, I settled on East because uh, East 9 is coming out um, next year. And James, you mentioned that like part of East 9 and, and like the back half of it is like weirdly like lore heavy in which like it calls back to previous east games but for you to understand it i think yeah it's not even just the back half like the very beginning is basically just front loaded with a bunch of references to things that adults done so like in general there's just a lot of that in uh, east nine yeah so I i wanted to see how they did that and to refresh my memory just like how I'm doing for Yakuza 7 with uh, the Yakuza series this year. Uh, I'm starting my East uh, Marathon. I did East 1. East 1's pretty easy to get through. East pretty 2... Easy. Uh, yeah. Uh, East 2 is... Ah, man. The gameplay is better because they have like this, you know, they added magic to it. You have a, a bigger level cap. There's like more East areas to is it. a great example of how more does not necessarily mean better. Yeah. Because the, the East of... 1 is... Uh, what I really love about the first piece is that essentially once you're at the halfway point in the story, you're already max level. Once you get into uh, the tower, it's just... There's no more grinding. There's no more leveling. It's just... just you gotta... Go. <laughs> yeah. And there's never really a moment that happens in East 2 where you get that because like the max level in East 1 is like level 20 and then 
max is too is like level 50. Yeah, it's like a level uh, in East one. I think it's level ten was the max level, and um, East two was like either level fifty or level fifty two. I forgot, but yeah, it, it was. It's very weird going from that from East one straight into East two because of that like big uh, level disparage. Uh, like your max level is literally five times more than the previous game, and also that like James mentioned. Adding more doesn't necessarily mean it's better. There's a lot of bigger areas, but there's a lot more complicated areas. Like if you if your memory isn't good or you're going to this game for the first time, Solomon Shrine was a mistake. You you'll definitely need a guide or have really great memory to navigate the mines and uh, the Shrine of Solomon in that game because they're very expensive areas that are very easy to get lost in because a lot of the uh, environments in that are very samey and you need to uh, find specific items in them to proceed. So. And it's not one of those games that like you can drop and then uh, pick up later because if you forget exactly what you were doing in that game, you will never finish that game because it is so intrinsic of like of you finding very specific things in the game to actually just proceed outright, or else you'll never get there. Other than that, it's like it's it's okay with like the storyline because it finally ties the knots together of like closes out the things that have uh, were presented in East One, especially the second half. Of the whole like east um the beginning of east so the, like it, it's cool that like you get this you get to meet more people in it there's like more locales there's like a like the weird different things about it where you get like a magic system and one of the magic systems is like you turn into a rue a monster in that game and that's you know you you can really flesh out like the lore of that world because you'll be you'll be able to speak to demons in that game when you turn into a rue it's like it's has a lot of weird, really cool things about it, but it's mired by just there's too much in it, and all there's a few escort quests in it that just all suck. Like just the the N- NPC escorts just take forever. They're slow. They you can easily die. It's ah, I'm glad to be done with East Two. I think I'm gonna move to Origin next and do the three routes in there, and then after have that, you played uh, East Six and Open Felgana yet? Yeah, I've I've played all the East games. Oh, it's okay. just a replay for me. But yeah. it's been it's been a while for a lot of them. So I think I'm doing Origin, then I'll do Salsetta, then Fulgana for my next yeah. three. I was just gonna yeah, say that until... for folks that have yeah, just for folks that are like playing the series for like the first time, I'd actually recommend playing like East Six after East Two because mm-hmm. there's like the story does tie in pretty closely like um, East One and Two with East Six, and also. Well, if you play E6 first, it's easier to go from that to Ofen Felgana and then Origin, then vice versa. Because like I still love E6. It's one of my favorites in the series, but it definitely um for being the first game using that sort of uh, gameplay style isn't the most polished. So Yeah. I was, I was just gonna say you have until what, February second before the English release of nine. Man, that really that is that is it really fair oh yeah, that's I think so. That's a, that's a tight see. deadline, man. To be fair, like there's only like a handful of East games that are gonna take a, a real long time to finish, and pretty much the main one's gonna be East Eight. If you want to do like, a, I guess for if you're going for the true ending or something. Now this is just a random like trivia, but uh, East Nine released one year ago on this day in Japan. Oh wow, really? The, uh, the day of the recording of this. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> Happy anniversary, East Nine. 
All right, so if that's it for the intro section, let's let's go into the uh, this mountain we've got to climb for all the news sections. So I'm going to be um, leaning on Josh a fair bit because he is the madman that has been staying up at ungodly hours to watch every stream and share all the relevant information to us at you know on the site to get the news up. Oh yeah, just, I, don't, I won't take all the credit. It's, uh, it's definitely <laughs> me, me and Kite. Uh, have yes, been, Kite uh, as well, yeah. for sure. Kite has been uh, immensely helpful in that as well, and yeah, it's it's a team effort. We all we all rely on each other on this uh, for TGS time. Yeah, I sleep in, I wake up, and Josh will have shared the news, and Kite will have written it up for the site. There we go, team effort. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but first, before we get into TGS, something that was announced almost a week ago, last Monday, I believe, was the bombshell on Microsoft's end, where they have purchased Bethesda and ZeniMax and all of their IPs for seven and a half billion US dollars. Holy shit. So God, the madman, he got somebody to, he got Phil Spencer to pay $7.5 billion to own Skyrim. So <laughs> like, and I, I remember when I first woke up to this news, I asked like, is this just Bethesda game studios? But like, no, it is everything under that ZeniMax umbrella. It is yeah. Arcane, it is id, it is um, uh, machine games. So yeah, that... to, to to be clear, like there's not just Bethesda saw like game studios. There's their their whole parent com- company, ZeniMax Media. Everything Microsoft that now owns a Japanese studio thanks to uh, Tango Softworks. Yeah, GameWorks or whatever. Yeah, sorry. Uh, uh, do, do you want to run down the studios uh, exactly, Brian, on what they uh, what they have now? Uh, I don't have the list in front of me. Oh, okay, inside, I can. I can got it. it. Yeah, I've got it. Uh, they they're now uh, the parent company of Bethesda Game Studios, ID Software, ZeniMax Online Studios, uh, Arcane Studios, Machine Games, Tango GameWorks, Alpha Dog Games, uh, and Roundhouse Studios, and of course some of the big big uh, franchises that it comes with that is you know Elder Scrolls, Fallout, Prey, Evil Within, Doom. Um, Wolfenstein, Dishonored, and the upcoming Starfield uh, game. Uh, to, just to get it out of the way, Microsoft does plan to honor the PS5 time console exclusives of um, Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo. Uh, so it's gonna. So yes, if you buy these games on PS5, uh, fairly near when they're uh, out, you will uh, buy. Uh, a Microsoft uh, game that's exclusive to Sony for the time being, and just so they ha- they've been a little bit coy in terms of what this means for future PlayStation releases or exclusivity. Um, the wording was that they would you know evaluate on a case by case basis, so very much just kind of like leaving the door open for any interpretation because obviously Microsoft has shown a you know initiative to get their games on PC and Steam. So this still like if you if you play on PC, this acquisition really doesn't affect you much except for the fact that you're going to enjoy more on your potential Game Pass library if you're subscribed to get. that. Yeah, this is this is insane. Man, now. I'm like. Yeah. I was already kind of interested in trying out uh, Deathloop because that actually seemed like, from the trailers, like the trailers for that have been actually really crazy good. 
the both mm-hmm. times they had them at the uh, Sony stuff. And then like, especially the most recent one where they showcase that, oh, you can actually kind of, um, depending on what you do, it'll change where the where your targets end up. It's like, oh, I'd be down to play this. Um, well, we already know that Doom Eternal is now coming. I was just going to bring past. that up. Yeah, there's the first and one. So, like, just because they're honoring the timed exclusivity for PlayStation doesn't mean that these games won't be day one on Game Pass for PC. So, I'm excited to see if that happens. Right. Well, the, wasn't, the... wasn't for Doom Eternal the PC Game Pass is actually a little later. Well, that's because they don't have a Windows 10 uh, store version, version of Doom Eternal yet, right. so they have to make it first. But um, I'll say it's actually insane just how many IPs Microsoft just got in this purchase now, and it's not even probably the main reason they bought Bethesda. I, I would, I think people are glossing over the fact that uh, Bethesda or at least Zenimax were working on their own game streaming technology called Orion. And considering oh, yeah. how it's very clear that xCloud is going to be a significant part of uh, Microsoft's uh, Xbox initiative in the coming years, it makes sense that if there's like some smoke to the fire with how good Orion's supposed to be that, well, Microsoft would want to have access to that. And hey, having a bunch of games to really beef up their uh, Game Pass libraries, just like cher- the uh, cherry on top. Yeah, and you can kind of see here how they're trying to compete both with like Sony and I suppose Nintendo in a very classic manner. Then they also see like the Stadia and the recently announced Amazon Luna. <laughs> so yep. you can kind of see where they're at least start. I think it's starting to come together exactly kind of what their strategy is and how they're kind of fighting like on a different front than some of these. Yeah. Like, and this with this acquisition and with all the X Cloud, uh, you know, news and beta information. Like I, I think you can the beta for that's active now. I believe. Everyone that has an Android phone can uh, download the xCloud app. So. so I think like you can sort of see through 2020 how we don't have a three dog race with Sony, Nintendo, Microsoft. It's now basically like three one dog races, if that makes sense. Like it seems like each each company is now like trying to carve out its own little independent mm-hmm. way of. I definitely say it feels. Yeah, I feel like Sony is still definitely trying to compete with Microsoft and you can tell that based off of all the timed exclusives that they've been going for. But Microsoft, it's very clear that when Phil said that he didn't see Sony and Nintendo as their competition, he was telling the truth with that, especially with the stuff like again Amazon Luna and the fact that XCloud's a huge thing. Like I'm sure that they're still like com- well of course they're still competing, but it's clear that they're looking further than that. You do kind of think, uh, though, that if if they were selling like a significantly higher percentage more consoles, they may they may be more uh, more clear about exactly who they're competing with. So they they're not yeah. going to wave the losers flag if they're behind on console sales. But they're also creating a system or a setup where the pure number of console sales matters yeah. less. That's one way to you know make that sting a little yeah. less. A bit I of a see... random aside, but. Uh... I'd actually argue that the Bethesda sale is, if anything, good for PC gamers because that means that nobody's going to have to use the garbage ass Bethesda launcher anymore. Yeah, it's true, very true. I think yeah. I think ultimately, like consumers win in the end on this. Like going a little bit back to when you guys were talking about uh, Game Pass, because they did say you know their Bethesda's catalog games will be be added to Game Pass. I, as you mentioned, Doom Eternal earlier. I'm sure a lot of their titles, if not all their titles 
will come to Game Pass at some point. But they also said uh, that Starfield as well will be coming to Xbox Game Pass day and date with their release. So this is just an ultimate win for you know whenever Elder Scrolls Six comes out in some eternity that people <laughs> may have the option to just play that you know quote unquote for free as long as they're subscribed to Xbox Game Pass along with all the other things that's already on that. It's it's awesome. I think well here here's the thing question I have to ask. What if you're a Elder Scrolls id fan but you play primarily on PlayStation? Like you have to buy an Xbox. Time to build. buy a PC. <laughs> build a you PC. <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose you also have the option of do you have an do you want to try it on XCloud? Oh so yeah, I was to say yeah, you can get out your Android phone. <laughs> and I mean, that's totally valid. I'm sure that Microsoft would be happy to take their money too. Yeah. And you do also wonder where obviously just within the last I think month, we did see um Ori and the Will of the Wisps released on Switch. So some of their maybe more uh artsy for lack of a better word titles might end up games that they think would fit well on the Switch's, you know, portable you know, ecosystem. You do do wonder to what extent they'll keep putting, using that outlet for some of their smaller titles. I I think in the short term for right now, Sony fans will be okay with Deathloop and Ghostwire. Like you said, moving forward, we'll see because they said case-by-case basis. Not necessarily meaning that like the future is set in stone, just very likely that's only coming to Xbox and PC. But, you know, if, if somehow the sales of Deathloop and Ghostwire on uh, on Sony somehow make them change their minds to like consider the case by case basis to bring it there. Then you know, maybe not right away, maybe like six months or a year down the line, so it's not permanent. I did see some people think or state some concerns about Microsoft is cornering the Western RPG market. And that's obviously, you can kind of see where they're coming from because last year in the same day, they announced that they had Obsidian Entertainment and Exile, And then this year, obviously Bethesda, you know, the, the Elder Scrolls and Fallout right there. So but, they're so Microsoft is going to make Fallout New Vegas to a reality and everyone wins. Yeah, that's obviously been quite the, uh, the rumor. Well, it's not really a rumor. It's more not just, even just that. Is, but it's like <clears throat> both like Obsidian and Exile are like basically came from the original like uh yeah there's um, a lot of common dna there, yeah. there from interplay and i think uh black isle studios and all those yeah. old classic pc rpg developers and then uh, obviously uh, there's um, a but, weird zoom meeting where they have to uh wave their hands at each other saying it's it's been a while huh yeah yeah it's and then um yeah so there's obviously the, that interplay right there which has been uh true since last year or Whenever was it two years ago where they acquired Obsidian? Time time is weird this year. Yes, I think so. But um, uh-huh. then obviously there's the 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 relationship between Bethesda and Obsidian with New Vegas and the Metacritic score and all that. I think some people like there was actually a post on our news. There was a comment on our news post about this about how awful Obsidian must feel now that they have to be under the same umbrella as uh, Bethesda, and I'm. I have a hard time believing that to really be true. I all of my true, all my interactions with developers at places like PAX and E3 and all that, I think they all they all see themselves as peers for the most part, even like across yeah. Sony Microsoft. Like I like I, I really don't think people at 
Obsidian are like, oh god darn it, no. we have to work alongside the same. You know, we are that damn it. But I, I, I have a hard time believing Plus, that. Too. I think not that, to I mention, think... even if they did see it that way, there's an inherent change in perspective once the studio gets bought out. Because now you have like people like uh, John Carmack saying, "Hey, maybe I can like actually help on the next Doom." And it's like uh, that's that's the, that's the secretly like the the most ex- uh, like exciting part about this is when the John Carmack tweet came out of like, "Hey, since." You know, now now that the parent company doesn't fucking hate me, then maybe there's a chance I could like collaborate with its software again. Like, ah, oh, finally. I do <laughs> wonder to what extent they can bleed over. Like, all right, uh, Brian Fargo at Inexile can now work on a Fallout IP from Bethesda using Tim Kane and Leonard Boyarsky from Obsidian. Like, there you go. <laughs> like, like what what sort of melding pod can we get? from this weird this level of talent that they've got on that front i do think that that concerns about they cornered that market is a little bit overblown because there's a ton of rpg developers outside of microsoft cd project larian spiders um i definitely feel like it would not be an exaggeration to say that this purchase fundamentally changed the landscape for how the xbox and playstation are going to do this gen because like I feel like a lot of console sales get predetermined based off of the launch period. And there's like, maybe not everyone plays Bethesda games, but they're very popular and they're very core, like, like Fallout and Elder Scrolls and all that are very core, like franchises and those sorts of games. Well, the hardcore people buy them. And then because they own X console, their friends will probably own X console because they want to play multiplayer with them or stuff like that. I do think this will, like, before this happened, I was pretty sure that the PlayStation 5 was going to outsell the Xbox, but now I'm honestly not sure because this really does change things quite a bit. Uh, I'm still reasonably confident that the PlayStation 5 will kind of easily outsell Xbox, but I'm less confident on how much that matters. If that makes sense. Like the number of sold PlayStation 5s, I believe, if I had to bet, is going to be significantly higher than the number of sold Xbox Series X and S's. I'm glad I said Series and not one. <laughs> but I just don't know to, to what extent can that be used as a measuring stick at this point in terms of who has been had a more successful generation. That's That's where I'm a little bit more foggy. And I think it's kind of what Microsoft wants, obviously. I'm not sure. the The future is getting fo- foggier and foggier as uh, so, time goes on. So Microsoft did have a small like thing at TGS, but they kind of said to expect nothing from it. Did they show anything there? No, not really. They showed off the the world update for Microsoft Simulator 2020, with like you know including Japan. They showed off a little bit of Scarlet Nexus, but not really too much. Uh, like they showed off like the like the theme song by the Oral Cigarettes in it. Oh yeah. Uh, they showed off like community, uh the Japanese community side of Minecraft in it. Uh nothing else. A lot of it was like a, like rehashed trailers from previous PlayStation events like Resident Evil Village had like its like first trailer in it or something and Pragmata. Um I, I guess like the one newish thing they announced was that Samurai Showdown was coming to Series X and S. So so yeah. I know some people have been wondering, and I think people, have, I think this this concern has kind of been nipped in the bud a bit. But oh, if they if, if games are being designed around Game Pass, and they're going to be they're going to be fundamentally different, 
And that's too early to see like whether or not that's going to be true to some extent or a small extent or a big extent. Yeah, I really wonder you, how, no, how how much of Japanese like market will embrace Game Pass as a concept moving forward. I think that could be a game changer for Microsoft over there, but I I I wonder what, what like how like what's the outlook on that for Japanese consumers. I, I, I just feel right now, based on some of the games you just listed, that those fears are like unfounded. Like Microsoft Flight Simulator, we have Gears Tactics, Wasteland Three, Grounded, like. It just seems like right now that that hasn't come to fruition, that these are going to be fundamentally different games that are all going to end up seeing, feeling same samey so that you stay subscribed to, to play these, you know, live service things. Is it possible that, that, that it might start leaning that way over time? Of course it's possible, but just right now, I just don't see it yet. You, you want to feel samey? I mean, that this will probably not be popular with some people but like a lot of the sony cinematic games are samey you know the way they, they're presented yeah and that one i think is kind of you know there, it's almost like a third person action game must be a sony exclusive but then you do you play through them and a lot of them do kind of have different just because they share that perspective yeah they, 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 that they, share they have like like differing gameplay systems but the like when you compare them side by side in terms of just like running it's like oh, it's like a third-person cinematic game that does letterboxes once in a while and tries to present itself as, as like a cinematic movie. And it's like it's I, I get it. I get I get I shared some of the sentiments of people like being kind of bummed that a lot of Sony's first-party output has kind of diluted itself to like some sort of checklist almost. I'm trying to think like if I could ask a Sony studio to like work in a completely different area well i guess like it'd be interesting to see for instance just guerrilla games go back to a first person shooter after horizon you know like that'd be great a, a sony a sony published fps get resistance back yeah <laughs> yeah because <laughs> now that now that they own uh, insomniac mm-hmm. have spider-man go make the next spider-man uh first person <laughs> first person web slinging yeah. vr web slinging spider-man game. vr that actually <laughs> sounds dope so Nightmare. I guess with talk, talking about Microsoft at TGS with some weird kind of little lower key announcements, we can talk about everything else at TGS. Take it away, Josh. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's how you're walking into. <laughs> so let's try, let's try to like compart- compartmentalize this a bit because we've got stuff on like Square Enix's end talking about a lot of different near projects. We've got Nintendo and we've got Monster Hunter stuff. All right, let's talk about near. So earlier yeah. this year, we learned that there was going to be a remaster is the best word for it but you can we'll talk about why that is dubious um remaster for near replicant this is the version of the original near that released in japan featuring the younger protagonist say the whole uh, title near replicant version 1.22474487139 dot, dot, dot. just there called uh, <laughs> version square root of 1.5 <laughs> so uh launches on april 22nd in japan april 23rd in north america um ps4 xbox one steam we got some uh video of the tweaked combat system with new combat animations that we got new um collector's edition of the game uh dual audio support is confirmed on the steam page what other details did they show about near replicants remaster for next yeah. year yeah when you're talking about the gameplay demo, like it definitely, it's not entirely like Nier Automata, but uh, they definitely took some cues from like the fluidity of Nier Automata's combat system in the brief gameplay demo section. 
that they showed off and it's it's looking quite nice uh you know but it's still very much in, in development they had debug menus to, like spot in enemies and whatnot um they showed off the the white snow edition that you mentioned like the collector's edition which is retails for 159 dollars and 99 cents usd does it come with the game it does come with the game thankfully wow. uh, <laughs> um that that comes with like you know uh, like pins uh a special soundtrack uh, um a steel book collector's box the the thing that surprised me the most about this is they had this special script set in it it's like a set of seven books uh about like the the, sp- the spoken script of the game and whatnot and that i was ex- i was expecting that bonus to only be in the japanese collector's edition only but apparently it's also in the western version and that kind of material is never is never you know brought outside of japan i think that's really cool i don't know if they're gonna have it translated all in english or just i imagine it'll still be the japanese uh you know scripts inside it but that's really really cool i i admittedly pre-ordered it right away uh, when i saw it come out of the square enix store but um they showed off like you know, the the box art there's gonna be a reversible box art in the in the west uh, one is by akihiko yoshida and the other is by koda kazumi they both look pretty nice um but other than that they didn't show anything too much for near aside from the release date the like major major news which is it's just nice to see that it's still in development it's coming out uh, next year in April. We finally have a firm release date, uh, and things are looking good. They did, they did not mention anything about like next gen versions or an upgrade. If the, maybe they'll announce at a later time, but other than that, there's, there's only coming for Xbox, PS4, Xbox One, and Steam. Of course, you can play this on next gen devices via their ba- backwards compatibility uh, options, but there's no like next gen enhancement of this game announced as of yet. And as a, as a footnote, um. I think PlayStation on their Twitter account was just tweeting out some trailer footage from the game, which then Yoko Taro would reply to saying to forget about everything in the past, think of it as a new experience. So to what extent will this tie in like new story, new lore, new plot beats? Yeah. You, seems you, seems you, likely, I guess, as well. You, you, did, you did mention that, uh, like, you know, whether this is like a remaster remake and people still have this. Um, it's, it's, it's a weird thing, right? Because there's like brand new assets all over in this game. But it still, like you know, feels like a remaster, uh, uh, like of the of the game. I guess the best way to put it is like, it's like an updated version of the game that has some new elements, and then people will draw their own lines whether that's a remaster or a remake. It's hard to really put put a term on it that'll satisfy everyone because everyone has different definitions and lines of like where what what constitutes as a remaster and a yeah. remake. To to me, it feels it feels more like a re because this is basically you know a lot of new assets and like. Uh, updated combat system so it's not the same and there will be like new content for the game uh in this you know updated play, really play through release. the game once as uh brother near and then you'll unlock the papa near route I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know a lot of people want papa near i get it so um we also learned was this announced at tgs the uh the sales numbers for near automata yes mm-hmm. all right yep. so near automata has sold just under five, 4.85 million total copies, physical shipments and digital sales. It's so funny obviously... because on the stream, they were trying, they were basically having a buildup to make it seem like it was past 5 million sales. And then they basically <laughs> pulled out from under everyone. Like, oh, not quite, <laughs> but we, we, we want to use that in our header. So we're going to say five with an asterisk. That stream is so funny. I love that. I love the humorous side of those guys. They, they especially got um, Platinum Games' Tora. 
uh, out there, like to get his humor side. It's like, oh, what do you have uh, here, us for today, Tara? Like, what do you want? Do you have anything to show for Nier Automata? He's like, no, I just came here because I'm feeling lonely. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 I have some things for you. And like, you know, the, he shared the the sh- the Automata sales. He also showed some merch, like you know, the the big statue that doesn't have a price on it yet. That's very, looking very expensive. And some more Automata merch coming in the future. You know. And we also learned that the upcoming mobile game near reincarnation will release in the West, Josh. No. <laughs> so I remember I remember seeing the initial trailer for this game where it showed uh the young girl running through the ruins with that ghost behind her, but I haven't really followed up on this since, like whatever's been announced yeah, in the last it, few months. It, they held like a closed beta, so a lot of people got a better sense of what that game is. Essentially, uh, they they do have those sections where you wander around these three D areas, like these ruins area, but uh, a lot of it is the the story presentation is like a, a picture book, almost because uh, the the game's premise uh, delves into like weapon stories, like visualizing weapon stories in it. So that's what you draw for uh, in the gacha. The game is weapons, and then uh, the the combat in the game is wave based, but it seems to be like active turn based. So like you move around this three D arena. And then you have skills on cooldown while you do like basic attacks and whatnot. It looks very nice uh, for what it is. And it kind of like feels like a newer game. And they showed like a new trailer and whatnot that like really delves into what what would constitute as feeling like near a lot of very scrappy, mysterious kind of events cut uh, cut from the game and whatnot. It it looks cool. I'm I'm very interested in giving it a try. I, I really, really like Nier. I hope this doesn't like bankrupt me for life. So yeah, there wasn't any more specific details for the announcement, just that it will have an English release on iOS and Android, and they revealed some English-facing uh, pages for it on like, Twitter and Facebook. So right. probably next year, but they haven't uh, really yeah, it in. Yeah, I don't, uh, they did say, like, the App Store is not ever like a a final indication of when a game releases, but on the Japanese app store, it lists the, the release date for near reincarnation as December 23rd. But you know, that that's not always representative. Oh, so the Japanese uh, version will be out this year. So, okay. Or yeah. Yeah. Maybe. maybe. Yeah. yeah. And then we, we don't know if like the English versions will launch simultaneously or not. Yeah. Usually for square Enix games. No, they usually come out like maybe a few months later, but we'll see. So yeah, near fans are eating good. We've got, very good uh, information about Near Replicant coming next year. Near Automata, as we know, has sold very well and done very well for that team. And Reincarnation, if you must have more. Mm-hmm. Good way to put it. All right. And just this morning, I literally woke up to this information. Uh, we got a new trailer for Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. So this was announced of last month or a few weeks ago as the prequel to Breath of the Wild developed by Koei Tecmo. Uh, as a you know a warriors title or muzo title um and we got a new trailer for the game the trailer itself isn't that interesting it just goes through the different com- the different champions and kind of each of them kind of has uh it's first of all it does show a little bit more of the english voice acting so it's good that they're able to get that done uh within the um confines of covid19 uh more interesting maybe is that outside of this trailer they did show some new gameplay featuring a young impa which looks very stylish, very cool. It's and it's cool to see how they're allowing this quote unquote spin-off title to introduce ideas like that. So it really it really seems like I'm almost to the point where I know Zelda's are not really 
that story heavy games. They're not story light, but they're, they don't really spend a whole lot of time making that the forefront of the experience. But here it feels like I'm wondering to what extent playing through this, or at least being aware of the, the events of this game, are going to carry forward into the sequel of Breath of the Wild. It almost feels like a Nintendo, like, it, it feels almost like a legit, completely, what's the word, top tier Zelda game in terms of its presentation and its how much importance it's placing on the established story of Breath of the Wild. Yeah, it's really cool to see Breath of the Wild style like adapted like a more like fast-paced action game. Like it's kind of it's kind of neat how they're pulling it off. Like the gameplay demonstration looked really nice um, when they shut off uh, like the younger Impa and, and the gameplay. She plays. She's basically a ninja. She has like ninpo skills, magic spells, can uh, like produce copies of herself, throws kunai, um, and uh, when you're controlling Link, you and you're facing off against like the like the bigger, harder enemies. That have like their own health bar. It feels like it's kind. Of, it's kind of funny because like when you face off these bigger enemies, it shows off like that circular pie life bar from Mario games, and that's huh. how you take them out. Yeah, uh, and uh, there's an animation for Link that he has like this like running or dashing attack where he gets on his shield and surfs into enemies. So like huh. there's like just taking nods from Breath of the Wild and like just putting them in there and going all out. It's uh. It's looking really good. I'm very impressed with what they've shown, what they showed at that Tokyo Game Show uh, live stream. It's just, it's, I don't know. I don't know if I can really like put this into words, but I'm a fan of both the Zelda series and the Fire Emblem series. But with the previous Warriors entries of those two series, Hyrule Warriors and Fire Emblem Warriors, I did not have really any inclination to play them. It was like, oh, these are spinoffs. It's not my type of game. I don't really have any motivation to to, to dive in. But then I look at Age of Calamity. I don't. I don't know if it's the art style. I don't know if it's just the level of presentation in terms of the cutscenes and the animations and the voice acting. There's just something about this one where it's like, all right, okay, maybe this one will be the one I jump in on. I think. I think a lot of it is what, like you said, it's about the presentation because Breath of the Wild still has like a very striking art style, and like just seeing that in any other game is just like a welcome uh, to, to our eyes. But at the same time, this this spinoff Mosu game is it has the advantage of like. We already all know the ending of this and how it goes to us who played Breath of the Wild and you know understand the story and whatnot. Like we know this is not going to be a happy go lucky game. This is, we know this is going to be a tra- like it's a tragedy waiting to happen in this game and whatnot. So I think there's a lot of uh, mystery about like even though you know the ending of it, it's very interesting to see like how things fell apart, where did things go wrong, and why things were in Breath of the Wild. And a lot of people want that context laid out and that's what makes it so appealing because it, we all know that that it's not going to be like a a quote-unquote generic story there's like a it's, story it's not sports. it's not a crossover i think like i know a lot of people love crossovers but to me it just makes it feel like it has actually like no meaning behind it when it is i know that's not always true but just that's my first thought and here it's like this is a prequel to a, to a well-regarded game it's not a crossover it's almost yeah. doesn't feel like it's a spin-off yeah, that, that so far the only the only announced characters they have only exist in Breath of the Wild. They have uh, Link, Zelda, the four champions, and Impa confirmed playable so far. That's it. There's no like outside like other Zelda influence. A, a portal opens it. up and and Toon Link <laughs> strolls through. Finally, here we go. There's the real Breath of the Wild story. I still don't know if I will play it, but 
I, the, I there's a there's a non-zero chance, which is not something I could say for Fire Emblem Warriors or something like that, which I it, absolutely it, had no interest in. It, it's coming out at a very busy time. Uh, I, I hope to get around to it. I hope I get to play it this year. Um, it's looking really nice, but it, it does come out at a busy time for all of us on November 20th. Worldwide. Yeah, it was announced uh, alongside the game so mm-hmm. a couple weeks yeah. ago, but yep. All right, so what else from TGS? We have a, well, quick, a quick news bit here about Dragon Quest XI and XI-S. Uh, surpassed 6 million shipments and digital sales. Um, I don't know what more we can say about this game. We've given it a 10 out of 10 twice. <laughs> so it's, it, it, it definitely deserves that amount of sales and hopefully gets more with the re-releases on yeah, PS4 and PC. And um, Xbox. And Xbox. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, there's nothing more to say about this game. We've, we've literally talked about everything about this game that we're allowed to say outside of spoilers. Uh, Dragon Quest is good. Colin yeah. would agree. Okay. So there you go. Um, there we you also go. got a, we also got a stream, and George isn't here to gloat to gush about this one about Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory. So um, they showed that they a demo is coming in the middle of next month, and they also showed some multiplayer gameplay from this game. This is obviously the. Um, Kyrie focused rhythm based almost like a feeder rhythm game in the kingdom hearts you know shell whatever you want to call it i don't know if you yeah, can glean more that they showed specifically from the gameplay snippets there's not much, yeah there's not much more to say about this game they've, they've pretty much revealed everything that like you know we're gonna see from the game in terms of like uh, how it plays what kind of modes it has obviously like the full track list hasn't been unveiled so that's probably going to be like you know when people get their hands on it but you know it's more more kingdom hearts uh melody of memory it looks nice it plays well it comes from the theatrism final fantasy team which is always welcome to me because i love those games um, this is also a yeah. mid-november release uh and right. based on some of the previous trailers it seems like it will have at least have a nugget of critical information probably uh, tied to the back of it ten thousand percent it's a kingdom hearts game so every re- so if it's a new game there's going to be story critical thing I, 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 I always need kind to... of um it's just i don't know if it's funny or i don't know if it's just interesting but whenever like you can't you have to be careful whenever you say like a spinoff in a kingdom hearts because that context just doesn't work within the series in certain respects yeah i mean i mean you could say it's spin-off obviously... but it comes to an asterisk always like it is you still need to play this it's like there are mainline games and then story critical non-mainline games that's it it, it, then nothing's ever going to be complete until we get that flip phone game uh, back, way back when from Kingdom Hearts. Like, does it data recoded or summer coded? I don't know. But nothing's ever going to be complete until we get that authentic experience. We also have some new footage from Fantasy Star Online 2, New Genesis. So they showed oh, off yeah. basically some of the uh, open world. I didn't watch the whole stream front to back, but I, but I poked through some of the footage that they showed. Um, because I think between the three of us, I'm the one that's played the most of the global release of Fantasy Star Online 2 since it launched in April-ish. Uh, so they showed off some of the dynamic weather. They showed off these maps that are kind of very Xenoblade-esque in terms of their scope and size, which is a very big shift compared to the ones from Fantasy Star Online 2, which obviously at one point ran on Vita. Uh, which are So they're much more confined and much more straightforward and less open. They showed off some gameplay from the Hunter, Ranger, and Force classes, which all return from the base game. And it's weird that we we're using that terminology because it's not Fantasy Star Online 3. It's not like another sequel. It's going to be 
tied to the same client. That's something that they kind of revealed in the FAQ from a couple of weeks back. But it still, at this very time, looks incredibly different. It obviously, it looks a lot more modern. It's got a new engine, a lot more, a lot more things going on, a lot larger enemies with a lot more, you know, intricately moving parts. It looks, it looks basically like a follow-up, eight years in the making to Fantasy Star, based on what I've played of the 2012 release this year. Yeah. How do you feel about them having not perfect attacks in this game? Because perfect attacks were a pretty critical system in PSO too. Um, I feel like perfect attacks. So what perfect attacks are, if you haven't played, is that whether you're swinging your staff or your sword or your jet boots or whatever, uh, the basic attack is usually bound to left click. Obviously, you can rebind or whatever. And then you can't just click that willy-nilly. You have to time it based on an indicator on your UI. And if you have good timing, you do these perfect attacks, which do extra damage. And then there's usually traits or other passives where it's like perfect attacks have a higher chance to crit or do more damage or whatever. But I feel like over time, and this is again, I'm not a long time player of the game. I've just been playing the global release. A lot of a lot of the, uh, they've kind of been already kind of pushing that out of the forefront of the game. Like there's a lot of traits where it's like if you charge your technique or your spell, it automatically becomes a perfect attack. Or if you do this in a certain order, the next five attacks are all perfect attacks. Where basically it's making it so that the perfect attacks are kind of becoming baked in, where you don't have to even do it in the in the original implementation where it was all timing based mm-hmm. so if they say okay let's just not have that in the system anymore because it kind of was already being filtered out i think that's okay okay in general yeah. i do like the idea in principle of being like you can't just swing your sword as fast as possible if you if you go through it with a sort of meter to your actions you'll end up actually being more effective so maybe i'm sure they'll have enough 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 other skill systems in place uh to kind of make up for that but yeah, the UI is very similar. I think anyone who's played even a few hours of the original of the, the base game, the Fantasy Star Online 2 global release or the Japanese release, it's got the same like um, palette bar at the bottom. A lot of the animations you can tell are borrowed. Like I forget the name of the fo- of the photon art, but there's this, there's this one pretty iconic skill with the with the blade where you basically do like two spinning uppercuts. And you see, like that—that that happens in the trailer. Like, ah, I recognize that. It's a yeah, lot of like yeah. Leo pointing at the screen, where it's like, I know that. Uh, so <laughs> it seems like there's there's a lot of this faithful, like, yes, this is still Fantasy Star Online two, but we put putting a new coat of paint on it. I know it's used almost like in, in a kind of a disparaging manner, but it really means like, man, this looks nice. This looks like the game I'm familiar with, but it looks really nice. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how expansive the open fields are. Like, I I got really excited when they were showing off like. You know, being able to dash, double jump, glide throughout the open field—it felt, it looked very Xenoblade X-esque uh, in that uh, yeah, manner. The, the scale of the environments is significantly larger. Like they showed off this one part, or they're fighting almost something that looks like a Horizon enemy, like a like a robotic four-legged deer thing that was shooting lasers out of its face, eyes, something <laughs> like that. Um, oh, and they were talking, they're talking about like its weak points are behind its neck and legs or something like that. Like, uh, and the thing is, is that Fantasy Star Online two has some of that but it has to kind of rein it in just because you're fighting in a lot of corridors and small rooms and every once in a while you might get a larger arena but not to the extent that was shown in the gameplay here so just the scale of environments is i think the biggest wow that looks different takeaways yeah, they, they, also, they, they also shut off like uh like the changes like the healing system like there'll actually be healing nodes throughout the field so like you can like just keep uh keep being on the move while you're uh while keeping your health up which is i don't know might be cool. That's that, you know. that's one thing about Fantasy Star Online 2 is that 
it's it doesn't have really it's not quite an mmo so it doesn't quite have a trinity but in terms if you want to play a character that supports other characters more than just deal dish, dish damage out yourself you've really only got like one or two routes you've got the tector which basically just spams out buffs and like healing auras and then you can do a couple things with like force and a few other like i think there's there's other there's also, there's also other classes that i think have been introduced in the japanese version that aren't in the um global release yet but my my interpretation is that there's not a whole lot so i wonder if new genesis will address that in any way it seems like basically 90 95 percent of the time you just want to spec out to deal as much damage as possible as quickly as possible which is kind of cool when you figure out how to do it and you get gear that matches and you get a you know get you get your techniques down or whatever but i just do i just do wish there was a little bit more gameplay variety in terms of what you go out into the field to do so if you are right. these more larger encounters with more players present um to have certain characters you know really focused on being support or something analogous to a tank and then different kinds of dps i'm not saying it needs to be an mmo but it would just be cool to really see a little bit take the class differentiation to the next level because a lot of times it just feels like again my interpretation having only played for a few months is that it just changes what weapons you're allowed to use is the key component of determining which class you want to play as yeah um I think yeah, the, there's not much more that they showed off in the TGS stream aside from like very basic like, hey, this like how the game plays, not like there's like everything in the game, but just like basic level. Right. Stuff. It was it was mostly a gameplay showcase, not really like how the game is structured, the story, much like that. It was just like here's what the game looks like to play now, which is I think definitely one cool. of yeah, definitely one of the one of the big ones to look out for next year. This all this might be like a, a hit depending on how they dole it out. Especially for being free to play as well. Still, no concrete news about a release outside of PC or Xbox. So, yeah, at least it's coming to Steam though, and not just Windows Store only. Yeah, the Steam version for anyone who's has who's wondering, have had way fewer issues compared to the Microsoft version. So, all right, another category of news from TGS: Monster Hunter. I know James was wanting to have more to talk about here. Uh, so we got so obviously the two titles that were announced concurrently. We've got Monster Hunter Rise and Monster Hunter Stories Two. So Monster Hunter Rise showed off some new gameplay clips, basically showing ways in which this game doesn't play quite like World, which is again the only one that I can really compare it to. <clears throat> so they showed off some of the wire bug stuff that we brought up on the podcast last week. They showed off basically new combos. They showed off new cool things that you can do with things like barrel bombs. They showed off that you can pet the palamute, which I know is obviously very important. It's very important. Uh, so, in general, I even the think, most important. Yeah, in general, I just think Rise. It just looks really nice. It's a. It's. It, I'm, I'm not going to say it doesn't look like a Switch game, but it looks like a really, a really well made Switch game. Like it's. It's got a really pleasing art style. I can't quite put my finger on it, but it just. It doesn't quite have that same aesthetic that World does. It's a little bit more cartoony, but in a good way. I, I, I'm not good with words, <laughs> but it feels, it feels more of a sequel to like the the previous handheld Monster Hunter like generations, rather than like get, going out about like the full realistic look that World was aiming for. It feels more of a sequel to like older ones instead, but to, obviously getting some of World's more quality of life uh, elements into it as well. James, did you have anything to say about what we saw here? Or I, I saw a bit of the gameplay. It seems like it's. 
Wow. You would have a harder time finding things that weren't lifted from like Monster Hunter World versus things that are like uh, from the classic games. Like a bunch of weapon movesets are very much the same or expanded upon from World. Like the Longsword has all the stuff from Iceborne and whatnot. Um, I'm excited. Uh, not much else to say. Yeah, I, I really like that uh, in, in one of the more expensive gameplay demos that they brought the item wheel back from World. Like, that is one of the more uh, big quality of life improvements I liked in World is the item wheel. Uh, so I'm glad that's back. Uh, some of, like, the wire bug actions, like the Light Bogan in the, uh, in the updated debut trailer, like, was really cool because he, like, he, he fired off the, like, the, the wire bug, then, like, used that as, like, as a tether to, like, move around, like, swing himself <laughs> as he's shooting at the monster. Yeah, that's almost really like he's water skiing or something. Yeah, that's that's a, that's pretty awesome, actually. So I, I'm glad that like they're finding very creative ways to like integrate wire bug movement into into combat. That's pretty that's pretty cool. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of what else they showed at the uh, the, the gameplay demo. Uh, like you said, you can you can pet the palamute. Uh, there was like a, a a portion of it where like you can like jump off your palamute mid like jump so like you jump with the palamute then like jump off of that and that was weird um they showed like how wire bug charges work or like yeah there's like a, a cooldown on like two wire bug like swings and then like and then you can uh i guess go on something after that uh, i'd have to go look at the footage again but like it, it's it's all up like on the youtube archive for that right so, yeah we've we've put up several maybe not several dozen but a dozen or more news posts over the last 24 hours so a lot of this stuff is brand 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 new um yeah it's, it's a lot of footage to like uh take in and remember right and my this isn't really new a new thing that i've noticing this week because i saw that this was true when this was first announced in the nintendo like partner direct but just the monster variety is still i think the, the coolest part about this game where world was so hyper focused on wyverns or wyverns um, of different flavors, but here just it's cool just to see like the birds and the, the spider enemy and all that stuff. None of that's new from the TGS footage, but it's. I love still the pop- Kappa that tries to eat uh, Arzuros. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, yeah. So just a bunch of new gameplay from that, and also from Monster Hunter Stories too. So not a, not a lot of new stuff here. This is obviously the more um, low key. This is I'm gonna sound really stupid for just saying it. It's more story based based on the title, but it's true. Um, they showed off that um, the main protagonist is a customizable character to some extent. Was that true in the original stories as well, or is that new to this one? I don't remember, James. Do you remember? I don't remember much of the character customizing in the original one, but it's been a long time. Um, character customization was definitely uh, of a lesser importance in the previous game. So it was basically just you could change your hairstyle and your voice, and that was like the main thing. Here they so, say hairstyle, hair shape. Can you be a boy uh, or a girl in the, in the previous one? Hmm? Can you be a boy or a girl in the previous yeah, one? Yeah, you can. Okay. Wait, no, and wait, in story? Stories one. Stories one. Oh, wait, no, I, I'm sorry. I don't think there was any character customization in stories. I was thinking you were talking about previous, like, regular Monster Hunter. Um, no, no, stories one. Yeah, I don't think there was any customization in stories. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure there wasn't. Yeah, I don't remember it either. So, but anyways, for stories two, they showed off some of the character customization for the character. There, you can customize uh, your name, your hairstyle, your face shape, color, hair, eyes, skin, 
so kind of cool and it's maybe maybe like not not you know world shaking but just kind of cool to see that and like obviously character customization and at least in the mainline games has been a staple especially in terms of armor sets so it's cool to see that even though this game has a slightly different focus that's still in the series dna yeah so that'll come out uh summer of next year so no new information on the date obviously that was just announced a couple of weeks ago but a couple new little tidbits for stories too all right Here's another James-focused one, a new trailer for Labyrinth Galleria, Coven of Dusk. First of all, is that title still unofficial for an English release? It's still unofficial because um, they changed the uh, Japanese name for uh, Labyrinth for Refrain a bit when they brought it over. So. so yeah, we're kind of making assumptions on how it will be localized based on how the first one was localized. But yeah, they showed off new, new footage for this, and I saw you sharing some some thoughts about it on twitter about like underwater gameplay or something like that what did you what did you see in this trailer that you thought was remarkable uh so like pretty much the only main thing that stood out to me as new was well there was two things one there was a section where there was like a bunch of like spears or something jutting out of the ground and there was like a super jump over it i'm guessing that's like a skill you can use kind of like i forget the name of the points but there's like these point like sort of like not really magic actions that you could do in the first one where you could break down walls, certain walls you could make uh, um, exits from the dungeon that you can like return to and stuff like that. I saw a, a short section in the trailer where you did like a super jump over like a bunch of spears. And then there was a section where you went underwater and I'm pretty sure I saw an oxygen meter there or something. So uh Interesting, interesting. Um, uh, anyone that's played a bunch of dungeon RPGs probably has a certain opinion about underwater sections in dungeon RPGs, and it's not necessarily the best one. So I'm definitely uh, not sure how to feel about that. Um, Metal Gear Solid 2 is my favorite underwater dungeon RPG. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, it's still coming out on Vita, so... Yeah, that's right. That's the that's the biggest news. Yeah, oh, didn't didn't we have didn't we have a bet on that at some point recently? Probably. I know I know the possibility of a Vita release was brought up when talking about this game at some point in the past. It's like gonna import my uh, um, Vita copy of that and be like, hey, I think this might just be the last physical Vita game. <laughs> like, oh, man, I'm kind of surprised it's still coming out on Vita on uh, November twenty sixth in Japan is for PS four and Vita for this game. Yeah, I was surprised if, I saw the If you've listened to previous podcasts or even obviously the game of the year talk from the year that Labyrinth of Refrain released, uh, James and Adam and a few others maybe have had really high opinions on this as a dungeon RPG with a great, interesting story with lots of interesting characters. So lots of hype for this one on their end, I'm sure. Yep. Hopefully it matches up with the first one. Can't say much about the story here since, again, it's still. Like, it's a very short trailer, and you're not going to get much story details that way anyways. And the way the story worked in the refrain is that it didn't really start unfolding until, like, I'd say halfway through the game. So, of course, a uh, quick trailer isn't going to give you really any idea of what to expect, which direction the story is going to go in. Yep, this was this uh, footage uh, was from not a TGS exactly. It was from another event that's happening concurrently with TGS called oh. Game Live Japan 2020. I'm sorry for getting those conflated. 
It's okay. I I my bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's another one that I see in the note was also from Game Live Japan. Uh, new gameplay footage for Disguise 6, Defiance of Destiny. So this is the... We cover, we've talked about this last week and maybe the week before, but it was, it was recently announced. Obviously, the big thing about this game is that it's got the new 3D art style, which I think is very faithful. Even though I haven't played Disgaea, I look at... I, I think the way I worded it on the previous podcast was I look at the the assets for this game. Like, yep, it still looks like a Disgaea game, even though it's clearly a slightly different take on that. So we had a new... Uh, recent interview with Famitsu, which kind of really leaned into the whole Disgaea is aesthetic the right word? The the their whole yeah. pachant for very large numbers. So in Disgaea 6, the player will start the the game at level 9999 at the start with a max level of basically a hundred million. So yeah, they're they know what they are. That's what Disgaea is. I don't know if James has any further comments on that. Numbers don't mean anything anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I really need to actually get around to playing the Sky series. Oh, I, really I thought do. you had played it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to put that on you. I played a few of them. I just at some point just the, the numbers just don't mean anything anymore. It's like it's like you you do damage. That's that, that's it. It's it's a fun little quirk to put in the little footnote, but it doesn't. Is it meaningful past that? Maybe not. Yeah, this one's like uh, in the Sky of Six. It's gonna be weird because they're they're adding like options to automate the grinding. Like they showed off, like the auto battle and the fast forward functionality that skips like battle animations, and like they just basically let the game run this stage over and over again to just grind it out for like levels and items in this gameplay footage at Game Live Japan. It was very weird because it reminded me of like playing a mobile game because mobile games. Uh, these days have uh, systems where you can just press auto battle and auto repeat and just let that go until your stamina runs out. Obviously in this game, I you, you don't have a stamina system, hopefully. Um, but it's just, I don't know, man. Famous well, last words. <laughs> what are, yeah. What are these games anymore? I don't know. But I guess, I mean, that, that'll help people that like, just don't want to grind over and over and over and over again on like the same thing. So just automating that process no, helps, but so one footnote for this game. You'll never, you'll never have, uh, and you'll never run out of numbers. This game, this this game has all the numbers. So one footnote for this game, and this kind of came up last week, but it's still true this week, is that in Japan, this game is releasing on PS4 and Switch, and as of right now, it seems like it will, it will launch in the U.S. next summer as a Switch exclusive. It's right. kind of up to speculation as to why that is or how that is, but that just, that just is how it is. Until it really did be that way. <laughs> so yeah, so summer 2021 for a Switch. If you want to play the Japanese version, it's coming out in Japan or on in Japan on January 28th for Switch and PS4. All right, back to TGS info. We oh, have no. uh, new footage. Or was it footage? This was literally just put up like 60 minutes ago. By the time yeah, it was, it was both, two uh, hours both ago. Yeah, both a new trailer and the and new gameplay demo. Of uh, Atelier Ryza 2. Josh, take it away because I have not had a chance to catch up on this yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Atelier Ryza 2, the, the main significant thing they announced at TGS is that there will be a PlayStation 5 version of Atelier Ryza 2 coming out on December 3rd alongside the PS4 and Switch versions of the game in Japan. 
the Western um, release of it is still coming this winter, but Koei Tecmo US and EU did confirm that it will, uh, the PlayStation 5 version will also be localized. Uh, just there's no, no firm release date for the Western version yet. Um, the Steam version of Atari Ryza 2 releases in Japan sometime in January. So it's not uh, day and date with the PS4 and Switch versions. Uh, but as far as upgrade path, uh, people who buy the PS4 version of uh, Atelier Ryza 2 can upgrade the PS to the ups can upgrade to the PS5 version of the game, whether they bought it physically or digitally, um, at no cost, free upgrade. Obviously, if you bought a physical disc of Atelier Ryza 2 and have the uh, PS5 that doesn't have a disc drive, I don't know if that'll work. If there will be like some sort of code in that box that'll allow you to do that. They haven't said anything about that. My bet is that's not the case, but I don't exactly know because they haven't confirmed anything about that kind of uh, use case scenario. Um, as far as for the gameplay demo in Natalia Ryza 2, they showed off at TGS. They showed off a little bit of the alchemist, alchemy system. There's some sort of new essence system in it. Um, they showed off a little bit of exploration where you have like a mount in the game now to uh, maneuver around. Um, you can go swimming in that game. You can go underwater. They showed off a little bit of the battle system that's like a little bit faster paced. From the original game, it has some new systems in it, and that's about the the long and short of what they showed of Atelier Ryza Two. The big thing is it's coming next gen, and you can upgrade uh, to the next gen uh, copy for free uh, on the PlayStation for the PlayStation Five. Did either of you two play Ryza or no? I did play a little bit of it. I didn't go finish it, but I played a few hours of it. It was okay, but I don't know if Atelier games are my pace of game anymore it's chill but it i don't know it, it felt kind of aimless to me at early on and i kind of dropped off of it I'd, I'd like to go back to it because people say like you know it's pretty good but it seems like it's based based on talking to uh former contributors to the site and other people who are more you know in tune with the series it seems like it's a really good entry point but some people think that uh other other games from the last generation have actually been stronger titles so yeah it's it's a pretty divisive game i'm like well, whether there are people like whether that should be their first atelier game or not i don't really follow that discussion but people who are into the atelier series seem to really for the most part like the, the changes that they made to the battle system and just uh switching it to a more action focused game not necessarily that it's like an action rpg but it's like a faster paced turn-based uh style mm -hmm. compared to the earlier ones it seems like yeah. another, just like if you want to chill out and uh relaxed kind of game it seems to fill in that void it'll be interesting to see like if the pace of releases for the series is going to continue to stay as high as it is and if the momentum from ryza will keep carrying through them all because i'm uh, not really interested in really playing this these series mainly just because partly it's just i don't think it's my cup of tea and also just i've got too much other stuff to play you can't play everything uh yep. but i'm curious just to keep tabs on it just to see how well it does i know i might be a little bit like bookish but it, it is it's just something I'm like, I'm, I'm just curious to see, like, will it sell even better or will it sell about the same? Or, like, was it a flash in the pan with Ryza? Or is it that, the start that, of a larger trend? Who knows? That's two big next-gen JRPGs now announced for the PS5. We have Ryza 2 and we have uh, Go, 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 Jigen Game, Neptune, Reverse. Uh, two big hits. Three, yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully they'll announce ray tracing for both on the PS5. RTX. I don't, I, I don't have. I don't have anything witty to follow that up with. <laughs>
Oh, it's boy. okay. Just go to on to the next news story. You can't segue out of this. Yeah, I'm just. Let's see. All right, this is a bit of an oddball, but I want to squeeze this in, even though it's a little bit of a different topic because we I skipped it before because it didn't quite mesh with the rest of the uh, cast so far. But anyways, Mass Effect. Yeah, it's very different. No segue, but you gave me the opening, so yeah. I have to take it. Yeah. So the we mass- have never we've never officially reported on this, but there have been rumors of a Mass Effect remaster. At least I don't think we've officially reported on it. Um, but there have been rumors for this thing for honestly years, but especially this year. Um, but anyways, a report from VentureBeat and Jeff Grubb, who has been kind of dipping his toes in this area for the whole lead up to the next generation in terms of leaking stuff and reporting on things nebulously has mentioned that mass effects remaster was originally slated for this year but has been pushed back to 2021 now it's a weird thing to say that because it was never officially dated and still isn't officially announced but it's almost being reported on as if it were so kind of a very weird situation um it's supposedly it has the title legacy edition do i have that right i think legendary edition I legendary think. edition um, and then supposedly one of the impetuses for delaying it was uh, anyone who's played the series knows that there's kind of this big delta, this shift between one and two, where it kind of went from being a very classically styled Bioware RPG, just with a third person shooter kind of perspective to something that has still those RPG elements, of course, but leaning more in that direction from two so and three. A, really good, a good game. I get it. I'm yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it seems weird because I think you can find people on both sides of the fence where they're like, man, I hope they don't ruin Mass Effect 1 because it was the only good one. Or, yeah, I think they needed to do something with Mass Effect 1 because it might give new players who play this game for the first time a bad impression. And it's not really like 2 and 3 much. I guess I guess the argument there is is that even if they do make significant changes to 1, the originals are still present. They, they're not going to be deleted from existence. Um. I guess if I had to choose, if I had the power to make that decision, I would not try to make it significantly different just to try to make it jive with the other two titles. I don't know if that's just a purity of history. Like if it had if it had that shift in style in the first place, I don't see why the remaster should shy away from that. It should just kind of embrace it. That's kind yeah, of my I idea. I, I'm with you because I have a kind of a soft spot for that, <clears throat> but I really like that it's like kind of like an old school RPG. With all the jankiness that entails i'm one of the few that like just got a kick out of like the stupid mako exploration because it was, it was so <laughs> dumb that people like get frustrated with that i'm like ah this is dumb fun you know like it's but, goofy it's silly the mako stuff um, yeah and uh, i just i just like that it was more like rpg stats focused instead of like the action focus i mean i really like mass effect 2 as well mass effect 3 yeah it's it's, it's okay at the gameplay side <laughs> But um, Mass Effect One is one of those like this is this could be a really cool thing if they decide to flush it out a bit more than they just shied away from it into, which I get it. But at the same time, I I don't want them to kind of have to make weird concessions of like oh we have to kind of shift up one to make it mesh into two. It's like just let it exist as is and like you know that you should be proud of like I guess your history with it. I just don't think you gain a whole lot by saying, all right, we're going to repackage this game unnaturally to make it line up with what the vision for the series eventually ended up being. Yeah. It's just, I I feel like that's a very 
small needle to thread. Like maybe maybe they could do like there, there's the possibility that they do something, and it ends up feeling really you know just feeling really natural, really like almost feels like the intended design. Like it's possible. I just feel it's kind of like that's a long then, shot. Then, this this might sound a little bit wishy washy, but then I then you kind of wonder like let, let's say hypothetical. First of all, this is all hypothetical because this hasn't even been announced. Uh, maybe we're desperate. That's why we're talking about it. Um, <laughs> let let's let's say they shift Mass Effect one so that it plays pretty much like three, and it ends up working really well. But then like it's going to be like which one is the correct version of one like which which one is the intended one well they both are and like there's no easy answer to that they're both then you, you just kind of have to with this like weird fracturing and that i don't like even though i can't really explain why i don't like it okay here's what they should do they should do like the halo thing of like they have upgraded visuals they they just totally change it <laughs> up a more modern and the touch of a button it's like bam old ass mass effect there that's the, that's the extent of the changes they should do this is pie in the sky, but I actually would think that'd be really cool. Like, do you want to play Mass Effect 1 Classic or Mass Effect 1 Legendary or whatever? And mm-hmm. one is one is more, for lack of a better word, streamlined to be to basically be a third-person shooter that has RPG quests and, you know, some statistics-driven gameplay. Or more of a pure RPG like Mass Effect 1. Obviously, that's not going to happen, but... I just think dream, they could, damn it. Uh, either either go the Halo route or do the Odin Sphere route, where they remade that entire game's progression like systems and made it more fast paced, but they still kept the original Odin Sphere in it for you to play, like as a separate mode, and like and just all with the the the, the visual and frame rate bells and whistles uh, attached to it, and you can still play that game in SD or go widescreen within the original mode as well. Like I'd say, just there's there's no. I don't know. It just feels like I, I if you're going to remaster or remake something, I, I would hope that like you also make the original way it was intended to be available some way somehow in it as well. Well, now I'm thinking uh, back to Nier, where Nier is going to have some differences in gameplay too. So I'm wondering if I'm being incongruent there in some respect. I'm having a moment of self-reflection. But the thing well, is, I haven't, I haven't really played the original Nier, so I don't really have that affinity to it like I do for Mass Effect. I guess it really depends on how Nier really shakes out in terms of its battle system, because like it's like the gameplay system isn't too drastic from the original. It's not like, oh, they're making a third-person shooter or something, <laughs> right? So that Nier is like on a weird, uh, like on a weird level where it's like it's not like necessarily unfaithful to the original because the original was like it, it was it was to be frank like a like a character action game in the PS2 era in terms of like how you control the character and the animations to it is a very it was very basic it was effective like uh, but you know the the updated remaster slash remake of it isn't like so different from that either you're just making it a little bit more fluid from what they've shown so far of course Pol- that, polishing that, it up but yeah to what extent is it different mm-hmm. yeah i guess we can't really say more on that until we see a these remasters actually exist and b if they do the extent of changes that they do implement because if they just tweak a couple things but keep the core experience intact, then maybe all of the hand wringing is for naught. So I hope we see it. I hope it's it'd be cool to see this confirmed. Uh, mainly because it would just be nice to have a packaged trilogy with all the DLC and all the add-ons put into one, you know, one title, rather than having to like dig through old legacy 
Mass Effect trilogy, Bioware points? Do you have all the different oh, add-ons yeah. and bonuses? We should, we should then... probably mention in this like, alleged report of this remaster that if it were a thing, that they would not include the Mass Effect 3 multiplayer mode in it. Uh, right. As, so just fun thing to note. But, you know, I, know, I, know, I know some people have been really bummed about that. Some people have really gotten into the multiplayer mode. And I know some people actually really got into the multiplayer mode for Andromeda, of all things. Um, but I only my experience with the multiplayer mode of that is back when it was required to get the best ending. I think, if I remember right, man, it's been so many years now. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like Mass Effect 3 is that old, but it kind of is now. Um, originally, you needed to do something to get the war score needed to get the best ending. Then That was I quickly changed, if I remember right, so that you ended up not needing to do any of it. But I do remember dabbling into it and having a good time, but I only did maybe like 10 total matches. Hmm. But yeah, it's not there, so move point. I don't think it's the primary reason most people have fond memories of the trilogy. But obviously, some people will still be disappointed to hear that it's potentially omitted from this rumored trilogy. Yeah. I have to, I have to cover our bases. Rumored. This is not confirmed or officially announced. We honestly do not know anything. We honestly do not know anything. No, yeah. For sure. Okay. Uh, while we're talking about Western RPGs, uh, let's talk about Baldur's Gate. So not not a quick, not a big story here but obviously the Baldur's Gate 3 early access was was originally slated to be available near the end of September uh it's being delayed just a week or so to October 6th just just I guess they're just trying to make sure that it's all uh ready to go for the early access release um alongside the delay announcement they did provide some new information on companions and specifically romance and relationships so this is a weird spot because I I've played a lot of Bioware games and uh, games in that in that vein and even the older Baldur's Gate games and there is a big focus on companionship and romance and I know a lot of people basically that is a key selling point of the series for them. Unfortunately, it's just really not for me. It's just there. It's just like okay, that's a thing. Like yeah, it's, so, it's not something I really strive for. It's like if it happens organically, it's like okay, cool. But I'm not like trying to go for like a certain character out from the get go. Yeah, so I always, I almost, I almost feel like I'm not just educated enough to talk about this. That's silly as that might sound. But I know some people have really been looking at the re- revealed companion list so far and really talking about who they feel is compelling and who they want to end up with, quote unquote. And I think it's cool that this game has that because I do kind of feel like I don't really pay attention when it's done well but i can point it out when it's done poorly like for instance um when greedfall had a very shoehorned in romance system basically you would just like talk to your companion like three times say the nice thing and then end up being able to like pair with them and i was like okay that was it like all right the you were probably better off just not including it at that point um Mm -hmm. i guess i will say that i don't know if Baldur's gate um I don't know if they've described this at all yet, but when it comes to romance systems in these Western RPGs, one system that I don't like, and I think this might be a little bit contentious, but I don't really like when every character is by or is available to either player gender. Because to me, that just feels very gamey. It ends up just being like, pick your favorite from a list, and they feel less like characters and just more like gameplay systems. I feel like I would prefer if each character has different inclinations for whether or not they're aromantic or they want to be with the same gender or the opposite gender or whatever. Like 
that I feel like when I think of this, I think of Pillars of Eternity Deadfire, where all every companion in that game that could romance could romance either um, any player character of either gender. And I just felt like that ended up making him feel like gameplay systems more than anything. And it just ends up not meaning that much. So if I if I could ask one thing from Baldur's Gate 3 that I think would would be better. I, I would like to see that the characters are fully written so that anything that do with player romance ends up making sense to their history, their character arc, etc. All of that. And I hope it doesn't end up just feeling like gameplay systems in the guise of a character. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, it's it's a weird thing to balance. Because then you always run into like, well, I want to romance this person, but they're straight and I'm playing as the same gender or whatever. And but the, to, to me that's just like that's how characters should be written. I don't know. That's just my mindset. Um but like I said, it's not really something I go into these games for. I just end up thinking of it kind of as a secondary thing. I still hope it's done well, obviously. And I think Larian has kind of showed that they are, especially in like some of the footage that they've shown for this, taking it, taking it, you know, with a lot of care and a lot of carefulness. I believe that it'll be something that is well regarded for the game, but we might need to get someone else on here to speak on it in more detail. But yeah, I'm interested yeah. for early access uh, in early October for this game. Uh, a little less than two weeks now with this delay. Okay, what's next? Uh, Brigandine. I'll go to that one. We're yeah. kind of at the, the we're kind of at like these little smaller. Uh, we 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 covered all the big Nintendo Monster Hunter near Mass Effect Microsoft stuff. So now we're kind of just wrapping up other little things that have filtered through over the last few days. Um, so we have that Brigandine Legend of Runerzia, which came out on Switch this summer, maybe late spring. That um, Chow ended up covering for us for the site as a tactical RPG for the Switch, is now coming for PS4 on December 10th. They have also announced that both versions of the game will get some sort of free update. But you have a note here, Josh, saying that they haven't discussed at all what they actually are. Yeah, they haven't really gotten into it, uh, as far as I can tell. So I played the demo of this game, and I thought it was interesting enough. But it just seemed, like, very dry, it didn't have a lot of story for it. It almost feels like just a digital version of Risk. I which didn't I play it at all yet. Yeah, yeah I, I, no I played I played the demo, and it was a sort of experience where I, I wanted to play the demo to quote unquote prepare for the full release, but it ended up just kind of making me like, eh, I'm not, I'm not that interested in it. I didn't hate it. I just thought it was very. Like, I felt like I would have been as equally excited to literally just play a digital tabletop Risk game, like. It didn't have anything on it that was any more more or less compelling than a board game like that. It's it just nothing on it just really hooked me. Yeah, so I don't all know, I, I don't know is that I have friends who are very, very, very fond of the PS One like original release. That's all I really know about the game. I know really nothing else besides like the small gameplay snippets that like you know pre release trailers. So I'm like, okay, this is cool. Hexagons. Anyone like hexagons? I like hexagons. Yeah, it's from from playing the demo, I could see it being the sort of game where you end up having like a lot of emergent storytelling where you might have a certain creature that's in the in the context of the game is a nameless generic, you know, just procedurally generated character. 
but then you might end up using them in battle and they have certain traits and abilities or techniques that are just super useful. And they might, you might have some close calls where they, you know, they save your ass in the end. And I could see this game having a lot of that, like personal experience, emergent storytelling, but just at, at the forefront though, it just doesn't have a lot that really just hooks me. So I wish I had something more concrete than that to say like specifically what's not, why I'm not drawn to it, but sometimes you just can't really explain away like, why you're disinterested but all i have to say is like look uh, one of my friends who is super into the original brigandine will be uh, happy to know that he doesn't have to buy a switch for the game yep so it will come out on playstation 4 is has this been confirmed for western Western gotcha so yep that is uh, december 10th we also got some details on some smaller projects that i will admittedly have to lean on josh on uh, so Megaton Musashi is a action RPG that was announced from level five. And I did actually watch a little bit of gameplay from this and I can see why it's a game that, uh, Josh might be interested in because it is a yeah. robot action co-op game. So level five tell, me, tell, tell me a little spot. bit about, yeah. Tell me a little bit about Megaton Musashi. Yeah. Level five, uh, you know, you can find another dark cloud from uh, rogue galaxy, white night chronicles, et cetera. They've been in a weird spot lately. They've been like, you know, uh, still go riding on the yokai watch train. And whatnot, but like they're kind of coasting by not really all that well in the West because like the, the last one we had for them is Nino Kuni too, but they they take a while to get their projects out here in the West and projects out in general. Um one of their I forgot when they announced Megaton Musashi, must be at, at least two years now. Um and it was we didn't really know what kind of game it was until like this TGS and there's like a co described as a co-op act, robot action RPG. That has like you know a little bit of story, a lot of robot customization, like uh, taking out parts, uh, coloring them, different weapon loadouts and whatnot. It's kind of armored core-ish, but a more cartoony form of armored core. And the uh, the combat is admittedly, um, like in a they even said in a rough state right now uh, on their level five stream. Uh, they like they said they didn't really want to show off combat, but they but they had to for promotion purposes. So it's still very much a a work in progress, which is a weird thing to admit on stream, but I, I guess I appreciate the transparency. Um, it's kind of like um, a, a cartoony um, Mosu version or Warriors version of Chibi Robo, almost, but on a 3D plane. <laughs> um, it's kind, it's kind of like you can see that like there might be light attacks, heavy attacks, and like you're going around beating up robots. Um, with your friends and whatnot, it it kind it's kind of like floaty and a little bit all over the place. It it looks very much a work in development. Um, it kind of looks rough to be honest. I don't know if I'm excited for it yet. I want to see the final version of this and see what kind of tweaks they're gonna make. I do like the robot customization aspect of it because it's very colorful, vibrant. Um, I really like the the aesthetic for the game, but I, it just seems like it's kind of lacking right now, not getting there on the gameplay side. Um. This has only been announced for Japan. There's no release date on it yet. Is this, is this uh, based on an existing IP or is it new? It's new, but it's going to be like a media property. So they already have like uh, deals with like Bandai. Uh, it's going to be it's going to get a a TV anime adaptation next summer in Japan. So they want it to be like a, a, a their next big like franchise property, like how Yokai Watch became to be. Um, so we'll see how that shakes out, but yeah, you know, we finally got like a new, like extensive look for the game after this many years. Uh, and if it comes to the West, maybe we'll maybe look at it. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see how that shakes out. It, it definitely, 
checks most of my boxes except like decent gameplay so far. So it's oh, <laughs> just kind of a weird thing to say. <laughs> in in principle, I'm I'm I kind of wish more developers had the bravery, I suppose, to show games when they're still clearly in development and a little bit yeah. rushed. Um, I, I do like that level five is like one of the more like kid friendly focused companies out there. Like it's they're still tailoring their stuff these days now to like a more a younger audience, and I, I like. I like that aspect about them, but it just seems very infrequent, and they don't have like a lot of like properties that I'm like invested in enough. Like I know they have this Yokai Watch, like High School Academy or, or or type deal that came out in Japan that does doesn't really speak to me. But hopefully, this one, you know, we'll we'll get there. We also got some info, more TGS stuff uh, from Maglum Lord, which we talked about a little bit last week, where it was just just announced. Um, so I'll just have to be honest. I didn't see what they showed here at TGS within the last 24 hours. So what did they show for Maglum Lord? Yeah, the, this is the game that, uh, was, has the Summonite scenario right around it. I forgot his right, name right. off the head. Um, and has the character designs by Lack, who did the Akata Izo from Fate Grand Order. Um, they, this was a weird one that came out because this technically wasn't on the T3 publisher, uh, TGS, TGS stream. This was like at some unscheduled unannounced stream that they fired up before their time slot um that they just randomly showed maglem lord gameplay that they didn't actually show at their tgs 2020 stream it was just it was just only on that stream for some reason um and it's really weirdly reminiscent of older tales games basically you're uh, navigating this like 3d environment and then you run into these enemies out on the field to initiate a combat encounter and that'll bring you into like a 2d horizontal plane field where you travel left and right and you can like run into the enemies and you have like control over your characters like you know attacks special skills so if you think of something like tales of Antasia, tales of eternia tales of legendia like that kind of like the what do they call it? the linear motion battle system sounds uh, about right yeah uh that, that's what it looks like the visuals aren't really all that great, to be honest. I don't know if there's like, well, I think I think these are finalized visuals because it's coming out soon in Japan, I think. So, but it's it kind of, to be honest, it kind of looks like a PS2 game, which is like you know it could, that could be a compliment in in some aspects. For this one, I don't know how I feel about that. It, but it looks it, it's kind of weird to see that like something trying to go with like the older tales of battle systems. Uh, that that looks kind of neat. Yeah, it's it's cool just to see something that's a little bit more low key. Though I don't know. Let's see. Like I feel like those tales battle systems, the the they were they're clearly limited by their hardware or like the, the technical know how. So I don't know. Going back to them, really is it's one of those things where it's like how much how much can you gain from revisiting that? I think this all really this game will, will, will all come down to how well they pull off like the supplementary systems and character progression to make like combat feel rewarding and have a bit more oomph. Yeah, yeah. So but still, still, that. still no uh, official localization announcement for this, but just a smaller title we have to keep an eye on: Maglum Lord. So mm-hmm. in the vein of classic tale series. Yeah. All right. So Konami stuff. I know that I, I've seen the news about um, you know GOG games from the old Metal Gear Solid series going on GOG, uh, but you have some information here about Eden's Zero. Yeah, uh, I don't. Uh, I don't know what this is. So 
So Eden Zero, from what I understand, is like a a manga series. I think it's done. Um, that came. Uh, that's by Hiro Mashima, who did Rave Master and uh, more widely known Fairy Tale. So I guess Konami got into a partnership uh, with him and uh, other people, and they had they announced two new game pre- game projects for Eden Zero. Uh, the reason why Eden Zero is being brought up like so prevalently now because next year there will be a TV anime adaptation for Eden Zero. Um, and for on Konami's side, they have a, a 3D action RPG for console and a top-down action RPG for mobile. They haven't said any platform for the for the console project yet. I imagine it'll be either on and or on current gen or next gen platforms of some sort. Um, and yeah, I mean that that's all they've they've shown like a project game teaser for these and some screenshots. Um, the 3D action RPG has like you know a life bar for one of the characters. I don't know any of these characters. I never read it. They showed off some um, sketches and art by uh, Mashima uh, of like the game original costumes for them. I don't know much about Eden Zero, but it's kind of just weird seeing Konami announce like a brand new game. Like, hey, we're actually making a new video game, not a re-release from scratch, and it's coming to console. And there's this mobile thing too, but for console, and that's. Well, I guess the last time we've seen them was Metal Gear Survive, right? Yeah. Question. I think so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, obviously I don't read uh, manga or anything like that. So it is cool just to kind of have a little couple peers into it where I'm like, oh, okay, Eden Zero. Yeah, that looks like fairy tale. Even though I've never read that, I recognize the art style. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see like if this ends up becoming like a big property uh, or or just something that kind of flies under the radar but has a okay, like, following. When was the last time Konami released an RPG? Uh, well, huh. I thought I had an answer, but I don't. Ooh. All right, James. When is was this the last trick time? Question? I don't know. I mean, I, I, this, is a, this is a genuine <laughs> thing. I have to... okay, when was the last time? When was the last time Konami released a, an RPG? An RPG. An RPG. Konami used to make RPGs. I don't recall. Sweet All right, Tier Curious, is that Konami? Is, or Tier Price, whatever it's called. Okay, I'm gonna go Wikipedia Konami. I have no idea too. I just uh, asked this, not knowing the the answer. List of Konami games. Let's go. Um, oh boy, Where's chronological okay. order. <laughs> yeah, right. I 2020. Ooh, I don't know. This 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 uh, wiki page is. Uh, Maybe maybe it is like Sweet in Tier Christ or that mobile game. I or, I don't know. I have no idea. I like well, that. I Google it, and one of the people also people also ask: Is Konami still making games? The answer is <laughs> yes. Eden Zero. Eden Zero. But I don't know exactly the the wiki page for like their list of games is just all over the place. It's oh. actually. I just got to go with your your so we get an answer. And, and if that's, I have no idea about that. If you're listening, actually... yeah, if you're listening and you want to go to the comments and let us know the answer to that, that'd be greatly appreciated because I just kind of threw it out there and I have no idea. But if you are an avid Konami fan listener, I think I think the only Konami game I've played is Symphony of the Night. <laughs> so, I am not the person to talk about this. Right. But yeah, anyways, to wrap this to reel this back in, 
Eden Zero, a 3D action RPG for console and a top-down action RPG for mobile based on a new manga property from the author of Fairy Tale. Do I have that right? Uh, it's not new. It's it's fairly old-ish, but yeah. Oh. Well, new enough to not have any video game ad- adaptations yet? Yes. Yeah, gotcha. I'd say so. New-ish. New-ish. All right. So some, a couple other things to just, you know, pick up the pieces just as we kind of, we kind of rattled through all of that in a pretty brief manner. So uh, we didn't spend a lot of time on any one topic, but I think we were able to get through a whole bunch of different things from a whole bunch of different sources. Uh, and rounding out that list a little bit is uh, we have information from Variety.com that talks about a live film, a live action film adaptation of the Yakuza series. So obviously we've got Yakuza 7 slash Like a Dragon releasing uh, November. And there was rumors that we'd learned about a new title in the series, which were ended up like being subsequently shot down. But yeah. we do have this information about a movie based on the video games from Wild Sheep. I don't know who that is. I don't but, know either. But the quote here, obviously, so um, this is a Sega property who had a reasonable success with Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, but here's an interesting quote from the Variety article. The saga of Kazuma Kiryu has a built-in cinematic appeal with a mix of kinetic action, comedy, etc. And I can sort of see that based on what I've played of Zero, Kwame, and Kwame 2. And based on that quote, it almost seems like it would be a game that, or uh, sorry, a film that would star around Kazuma. Though I'm not sure that would be set in stone at this point. Uh, I'm not much of a movie person in general. But it is always just cool to see a game or an IP get big enough where this ends up being a possibility. So yeah, the series has made it. They've made it. I guess. But also, I guess my, my only worry about that is like, what, how would they frame Yakuza? Obviously from like, this will be like a Western take on it, a Western perspective of it. Right. So it'll definitely be more Hollywooded up. And yeah, Yakuza is a little bit more nuanced than that in certain aspects. So it'll be interesting to see how this project shakes out because it's kind of, it, it feel it feels flimsy if you're taking if you're if it's like a Western interpretation of that story. Um, yeah, obviously they haven't uh, said anything about like as you said if it's going to be a Cosmo centric or if it's going to be like some movie adaptation of like the PSP Black Panther games or whatnot. But um, yeah, is... unfortunately, I'm just not a movie person. So when I read Eric Barmack, Roberto Grand, Joshua Long are producing Wild Sheep are searching for writers. 1212 is involved i'm just not the person to see like ah i know i know these guys credits i know what they've done i know whether to trust them or but you should you should write it then they're looking for writers right go write the movie uh, no come on come on i am really i uh, can we talk about like a dragon i'm interested in that i want to play that i'm I'm not really interested in the yakuza film i do i do uh, I'm interested in like a dragon. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I do agree with it on principle that I'm like, yeah, I, th- I think a, a film could work, but yeah, who's the talent behind it? Uh, how in tune are they with the games, like from RGD Studio? So that I just don't know. And we've seen misfires on video game adaptations <laughs> before, to put it lightly. So, dude, hey man, the Monster Hunter movie is still going to come out. Well, sometime next year, I think, or uh, the year. So that looks completely faithful and not oh, yeah. at all Hollywood, you know, interpreted. Absolutely, that verb. Yeah, uh, I, I hope they make a a game adaptation of the movie at this point. 
Yakuza of the movie of the game. Monster yeah, Hunter the like, movie of the game. There you go. Oh, God. Uh. <laughs> James is excited. I hear it. Anyways, the last note on this is something that James put up uh, in the midnight hour. Yeah. So it's kind of a follow-up to the uh, GPU, the NVIDIA GPU discussion that we had a few weeks ago. Um, I mentioned that I didn't think AMD was really going to be able to compete, but uh, actually it looks kind of promising now because within the last like five or six hours, um, some um, really eagle-eyed person on Reddit looked into the latest macOS update, which does have tend to have information sometimes on like AMD upcoming hardware because. Um, for people that don't know, um, Apple goes with AMD for their graphics hardware and Macs because they absolutely hate NVIDIA after having a bunch of issues with uh, previous NVIDIA GPUs in their systems. And um, so RDNA or RDNA 2 or Big Navi rumors, leaks, whatever, have been like abound like for months. And you always want to keep those. You kind of want to take those with a grain of salt just because AMD fanboys are actually crazy sometimes and AMD themselves have overhyped and underdelivered so many times, but this is a bit different. Remember Mantle? This... I remember Mantle. Poor Volta. Um, well, Mantle was actually one thing that was good and whatnot. Cause uh, fun fact: uh, DirectX 12 has more in um, common with Mantle than it does with DirectX 11. And uh, Vulcan is literally just built on top of Mantle. So Mantle is like a software thing was good. It wasn't even like overhyping anything. It just literally pushed it, the uh, graphics industry forward. So we actually had low-level APIs. But uh, that's besides the point. So this leak is a bit different from the rumors that have been abounding about Navi 21 and Navi 22 or Big Navi in the sense that it comes directly from Mac OS. So it has a certain degree of credibility that other rumors or leaks just don't have. And it's looking like there's going to be a 40 compute unit part that will probably bat within 5 to 10% of a 3070. And then there's an 80 compute unit part, which is double the compute units, which very well should be able to directly compete with the 3080. So if you remember a few weeks ago, I said, well, I'm not sure if AMD is going to be able to compete. Uh, well, it looks like at least the rumors of 80 compute units is uh, correct. And it definitely seems like AMD might actually be able to um, compete. The really which interesting part. Which obviously is just good to have them. Yeah. Within the really the interesting. Go ahead. Yeah, the really interesting thing about this, though, is that uh, people were speculating that the reason why the RTX 3000 series GPUs were so power hungry was because NVIDIA knew that AMD was going to be able to compete. And looking at the power numbers that we also got from this leak, it definitely seems like that AMD might actually have better like performance for Watt with RDNA 2, which is actually crazy. If... <laughs> If you've been following the graphics industry for like the last like six, seven years, that is actually unheard of because it's been a meme for so long that AMD is just so power hungry. And now it looks like if nothing else, one thing for sure is that it, it basically got swapped. 
Dang, man, so you're saying I should wait a bit more then to see how it shakes out. Well, I mean, if you're not going to be able to buy a 3080 anyways, you might as well wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, That's well, basically nowadays, where I'm nowadays, at Nowadays, you have to factor in uh, the software as well, which normally NVIDIA's had the edge, but there's also been some rumors, not rumors, reports that there's been issues. I don't, I don't know. I only know this secondhand about people who have installed 3080s recently who have had issues with games crashing. Oh, so I don't know much, I don't know much oh, about that. That wasn't software. That's a hardware thing yeah, because uh, partner cards. EVGAs, the 3080s have uh, really shit capacitors. Oh, specifically, EVG, specifically EVGA. It's not EVGA. EVGA um, hasn't been having issues. It's been some other brands. Uh, like, well, I, um, I heard EVGA on my end. Um, some reviewers were having issues that they were able to reproduce with EVGA cards, but they explained that the reason why is because they had a different uh, voltage regulator set up on the preview cards that they sent to reviewers that they caught and fixed for huh. the production uh. line. So. Hopefully that's true, but um, anyways, um, just thought I'd do a follow-up. I mean, I was super pessimistic about AMD last time, but hey, I mean, when you actually get some hard, like, hard numbers to look at, it's promising. I'm going to say it's promising, especially since uh, I feel like while the uh, 3080 has been a massive jump for performance, it's definitely fallen short of what NVIDIA was kind of selling, it feels like. <laughs> so... Who knows? Uh, in I, principle, I hope... it's good to have both Team Red yep. and Team Green. Uh, being able to, you know, trade blows like that. So, well, we're, we're at the very initial stages because it hasn't been officially announced, but based on the leaks. Yep. Here's hoping. Did we really get through everything? I'm scrolling back up the list. We got, got through everything as far as I know. So that, I know that that pace of this podcast has just been a little bit different. But I think that's just kind of how it kind of folded out of having uh, just kind of gameplay snippets of new titles, of titles that are further out, titles that are releasing before the end of the year. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of TGSs. They'll show stuff, but there's not a lot to really talk about because there's like, hey, you're showing footage. It's like, okay, cool. Thumbs up. Thanks for letting us know that this video game exists. So obviously the big highlights for me were Fantasy Star, obviously all the Microsoft like implications for Western RPGs, and uh, I I've played near Auto is it Automata or Automata? It depends on where you're really I guess. <laughs> um, and I didn't have like this. I'm basically I'm just kind of reflecting on everything that was announced over the last seven days. Um, I didn't really have this world changing experience with Automata that some people had. Seemingly, like if I had to rate it, it probably wouldn't be as high as what we rated it on the site when it came out. I liked it, and I'm interested in Replicant. You should go complain to the reviewer about that, dude. <laughs> Who is that? Mm. <laughs> Maybe I'm just I'm just bitter that I've not given a game as high a score yet on the site. Eventually, I will find my near Automata. Yeah, I like how I just pronounce it a different way each time I bring it up. So I am interested uh, in near, but it's one of those things where I've heard people like Adam and Cullen so hype it up that I don't know how to like recalibrate my expectations going in. <laughs> just because. Uh, they just, Colin actually wrote about it for his uh, Game of the Decade feature. Yeah, that's um, right. Last year. So lots of lots of good word of mouth for Nier. So of course I'm going to try it. But then I, you kind of want to have that in mind when you go in because that was the motivation to pick it up in the first place. But you don't want to have that like set the bar in a place where you can never have it be reached. So I've had that issue before. That's just a personal thing for me. And then Colin of course... I... Uh, go ahead. 
Carl and I are imminently out almost two hundred dollars because of that stream. <laughs> so until until Square Enix demands their blood money, and we're like, oh man, okay. And then yeah. uh, I hope Mass Effect ends up being real. We'll see. That'd be great. That'd be great to see. Any other closing thoughts on anything that we've seen this week? Um, as for the rest of TGS that we might or might not discuss next week, uh, looking at the what I have at least on my on my end um, tonight, they'll show off more of that East Eight for smartphones game. The Square Enix will have another stream. I don't know if I have anything important. Um, uh, as for RPGs, not really, they'll, they'll show they have will have a Sword Art Online Scarlet Nexus program for Bandai Namco. We'll have something about that Sakura Wars mobile game that I'm a little bit scared about. Um, and they have um, not uh, they they already deconfirmed that it'll be a new Yakuza title, but Nagoshi uh is gonna show up sometime early tomorrow morning for me. Uh, for TGS stuff, let's see what he reveals. And for us, I think that's it for like RPGs. Uh, Genshin Impact will also be out by the next podcast. That'll be out like about either tomorrow or the day after. I did right. Genshin, uh, a, Genshin Impact releases. Yeah. The date is set at September twenty eighth. I don't know if that's evening yeah. or what. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if that'll actually open up like late night in my time or something because of time zones. But and by um, the way, yeah. we do have a interview up on the site that Josh submitted questions for about Genshin Impact. So that's a feature that's up right there. So go ahead and check it out. I don't know if you've got any further comments about what you're able to talk to the developers about. No, I mean, they, if you if you know me, you know the kinds of questions I ask. So uh, give it a shot, uh, give it a read, and hopefully you learn something new or not about it. I don't know. But uh, Here, how about uh, this? I, 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 know, I know you've talked about this on a previous podcast, but I've still seen some people question like, what sort of game this is? Can you just give them like a one sentence? Like, is it is it free to play? Is it multiplayer? Yeah, a, what is it? It's a, it's a free to play 3D adventure game, sort of like Breath of the Wild in terms of like uh, mechanics, where you have like a stamina system and like you can climb up anything. The combat is a bit more involved because it's like switching between characters and uh, you'll, you'll mix and match different elemental affinities based on the character. And it'll have uh, co-op elements in it. And it also has a gotcha system in it for characters and weapons. There you go. Genshin there Impact, you go. releasing September 28th. Yeah, I'll we talk about that. Up on the yeah, I'll talk about that next week because it'll actually be out. All right, well, with that said, uh, we got through a lot in two hours. So I'm proud of us. I know, we maybe, did it. We yeah, and maybe next week if there's less individual topics we can kind of really dive into following up on the ones that are the most impactful for our coverage but we'll have to see what's all announced because we can only predict talk about but three yeah. hours of next week finally yeah we can talk about the new girl in east eight yeah yeah but yep it's definitely that time of year so we're back to having really long podcasts and a lot to talk about so holiday season's here we'll see all right, so obviously you can read up all of our stuff on the website at rpgsite.net. Uh, we have a dark mode now. Click the icon in the top right of the home screen and toggle between it and let us know what you think. Uh, there's also a few other different things that you might notice in terms of having uh, kind of article categories, pillbox in the front. Uh, the search has been tweaked. 
just go ahead, po uh, poke around the website, check it out. A couple changes under the hood and facing out. Uh, you can always follow us on Twitter at RPG site and on YouTube at RPG site.net or sorry, RPG site net. Um, we should have another casual mode up video up this week. We took a week off. Uh, it might be Wasteland 3 or it might be something else. We kind of just decide spur of the moment. Um, and you can always join our Discord by hitting the link at the top of the homepage to talk about uh, Monster Hunter or whatever you'd like. And yeah, as always, you'll hear from us next week. And until then, take care. Bye-bye. Later, folks.